Welcome, everybody, to the Illusion of Consensus podcast. I'm uh, uh, Professor Jay Bhattacharya. I am um, delighted to be here today with uh, Kelly Croner, who has uh, come to prominence during the pandemic as uh, a, a, basically a citizen scientist, a leader in uh, holding the CDC and other scientists accountable for basic errors in math and uh you know, counting, counting. Um, the, uh, the <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, it's, it's much more fundamental than that. But, but the, but that's the most basic thing, right? Um, and and the the thing is, it's been striking to watch uh, professionals publish pieces, scaremongering about uh, about the deadliness of COVID to children, and uh, to watch uh, Kelly take apart the these claims. Um, it, using data from the CDC, analyzing the, the basic, you know, standard sources, where it turns out a very large number of experts, uh, many of whom really are responsible for communicating to the public what these data are showing, are, are quite bad at analyzing data, at, at understanding the limitations of these data, and then combining that with a with a with a uh, with, uh, you know with, with this idea that somehow uh, overstating the harms of COVID is 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 by itself a responsible thing and 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 while while accurately reporting what the harms of COVID are is an irresponsible thing uh so welcome kelly thank you for agreeing to join it's been um i've been i've been admiring your your advocacy for some time now on twitter in fact i think i wrote a a tweet saying that you're a national treasure and i honestly believe that it's been wonderful to watch um and uh, so welcome and, th and thank you for agreeing to come to the podcast well thank you for having me uh, so Kelly, I figured we'd start with your origin story and your background. Um, so can you please tell the audience uh, before 2020, 2019, what were you doing? What was what was the did you did you see yourself as a as a warrior that was going to going to uh, hold the CDC to account? Not at all. <laughs> Not in the slightest. I uh, I I'm self-employed. I'm a photographer. Uh, I, and that's, and, and I'm, I'm a mom, you know, I have a teenager that I drive back and forth to practices and school and everywhere else. Um, and that's mostly what was taking up my time, um, before COVID. And, uh, when COVID first hit, I mean, I didn't know what to make of it. That was not anything I'd really had any, um, kind of background with, I had no involvement in public health. <laughs> But uh, so, just, so you weren't like, uh, you know, just uh, look, just for fun. You would occasionally go and let, download CDC Wonder and look for the the, the cost no. of the death. No, that, never, <laughs> that never happened before the pandemic. How did so? How did you? No. How did you start? Like, how did you? Like, how did you come to say, okay, well, I, can, it, I, I can do this? It started really with the local Georgia data, and it was just basically me trying to get an understanding of what was going on locally with COVID. Um, like when everything kind of shut down, and you know, states were starting to put out numbers. The Georgia data was really lacking as far as like, they just kind of had a cumulative number of cases. And so people were like, oh, cases are going up. And I'm like, well, it's a cumulative number. <laughs> like it's only ever going to go up. But I was like, but they didn't have a way to track it from day to day. So I was like, I'm going to just start writing down the number every day so that I can see, you know, really if it's going, you know, if the daily numbers are going up or not. Uh, and that's kind of where it started is just me being like, I, you know, we don't know by looking at just one cumulative number. That's not very helpful to me. Um, and I'm just kind of a numbers person. I always have been. I enjoyed math, helped people with math all through school and everything. So I was like, I mean, I just opened an Excel spreadsheet eventually and started recording the numbers in there um, after like screenshotting them on my phone became 
annoying. <laughs> and so as they started adding more data, I started recording more of the numbers every day. And I just kept seeing how it was being misreported, even like just in the local news or to, among people who, you know, again, they're just like, numbers are going up. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and so did you, did you communicate this to the press? Did you, would you like try to put it on Facebook and get well, censored? Well, for or? a while, I just was kind of doing it for myself. And then I started sharing it a little bit on Facebook. And then I sort of revived an old Twitter account that I had created at one point and never really used. <laughs> um oh. And started sharing it there. I think I started the Twitter stuff maybe after I, one day I was like, you know, I need to make this like more easily accessible. So I was like, you know, I, in addition to my photography work, I also um, do some web hosting. So I was like, I'll just make a quick website and put that up. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just kind of put up a website. My husband came home from work that day and I was like, so I did a thing. <laughs> Um, and I just started sharing that and people started following me on Twitter and on Facebook, just trying to see, oh, well, Kelly's telling us what's really happening because we can't really get that, um, locally, um, other and places. This, and, and initially this is like in 2020, you were doing this, like people were so yeah, worried this about started, um, I think I created the website in May of 2020. Um, Okay, so and you live in Georgia, so the, mm -hmm. the state uh, famously was uh, got chided by uh, Tony Fauci and others for being lax in in in, yes. in opening. Like mainly, what they were concerned about was kids going to school or or kids going to summer camp or something. Um, yeah, well, it all started back um, when Kemp said he was going to open up. Um, bowling alleys and stuff. And people were like, why would you open bowling alleys? And I was like, what people didn't understand is that was all he really closed. Like he only closed bowling alleys and tattoo parlors and a few other places. Like, so when he reopened those, it wasn't like he picked the most unusual things to open. It was just, he was saying <laughs> all those closures, I'm, you know, undoing them. And that's when the Atlantic, you know, where the experiment in human sacrifice. Well, I'm sure you saw, um, I remember seeing that being absolutely shocked by it, uh, by, by the headline, because it was it was clear from other data uh, else and, and other countries that uh, that countries that had been that had been more, uh, you know, so more reasonable. I mean, I don't think any country did nothing. Um, you know, certainly no developed country did nothing. But mo most uh, places like Sweden, the Scandinavian countries, uh, South Korea never closed its schools, never did mandatory closures of businesses. Um, and yet the American press was, you know, going essentially like demonizing any governor that followed yeah. that sort of European Asian strategy. Um, uh, so it was, it was kind of, to me, I remember it was, it was just being struck by uh, the irresponsibility of the headline writer or the, or the, or the author of that piece experiment in human sacrifice for an American governor? I mean, come on. Um, yeah, it was, it was bizarre. Um, I mean, kind of being here through that or whatever and seeing everybody's reaction to, you know, George is opening up. Um, but I mean, in reality, in a way, like there was very little that was ever closed. It was a lot of it was people's just individual choices about, you know, what they were going to do. Now, restaurants were closed for a while, and then they were open with limited capacity um, and a few other things. But a lot of it was just, you know, people were like, oh, they closed businesses. And um, and I was like, well, they really didn't. I mean, most businesses, there were exceptions that were like, you can do anything needed to keep your business going. I was like, 
including like sell things and stuff. So I'm like, really, they weren't closed. Like it was just more of an appearance of closure. And so some people took it much more kind of strictly than others. Um, I, but, I was, uh, I was uh, looking at the data at the time, um, the international data. I, I ended up writing a piece with uh, Mar- uh, with my my colleague Iran Ben David and uh, John John Ioannidis. Um, doing this international comparison like we we had like regional data from sweden south korea and a whole bunch of european countries um which which varied very much in whether they closed closed basically everything or closed basically nothing um and you know even but of course like south korea and and, and sweden had they, they had recommendations that if you could work from home work from home but if you can't then you can't i mean they, they didn't they did uh famously sweden didn't close schools at all for kids under 16. Um, and when you did the econometric analysis, it was really tough to see any effect at all of those of those like those policies, those those lockdown policies. And uh, you know, from from uh, from my point of view, it made sense. Like people have needs to interact with other people. You force some things closed; other things will people will interact in other places. With uh, uh, the, our societies are deeply unequal. You can't really have. Uh, you can't really say, okay, you close down or go away, or, or I mean, because for 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 poor person, for you know, someone who's a single mom caring for for their child, the, the, the you know, five year old child or six year old child, it was now on Zoom school. They're, they're what are they going to do, right? They're they're going to the lockdown affects people very very differently depending on the social circumstances that you live in, and so it it makes complete sense that it didn't work, that it didn't actually stop the spread of the disease. Because how could it? Right, human humans need to interact with each other. Okay, so so all right, so you're 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 like raising the alarm locally. You're 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 posting. Did, you, did Facebook ever censor you, or, or like you get tagged or something? Or no, I did never have any issues on Facebook, but I didn't. I was mostly just kind of saying here are the numbers. I wasn't really. I had very little commentary on Facebook. It was more just kind of like the numbers are up or the numbers are down, and that was it. It was just very. Um, I mean, kind of, it was more of a, just a data report. Uh, I did share um, David Sweek's piece about opening schools that came out in May because uh, he talked, he looked at all these international things. And I was like, I mean, I have a daughter. She's middle school. You know, she was eager to get back to class. And I was like, hopefully we're opening schools in the fall, right? You know, like surely we're not going to keep them closed any longer. And so, you know, I shared that at the case for reopening schools or whatever it was uh, called. But um I immediately people were like, well, have you heard about this new disease, you know, talking about the, the you know, Kawasaki like disease and, um, you know, and other people were like, well, what if there's, you know, vulnerable people in the house? And I was like, oh, boy, <laughs> I was like, this is this is not I, I thought people were going to be like, great, I can send my kid back. And then I was like, oh, fun. This is going to be um, yeah. more difficult I than I, I, I imagined. <laughs> I had this. Uh, my my wife gets after me for being too optimistic sometimes. So like, but I, I remember when the two weeks to slow the spread hit, and she was like, "Okay, we can we can do this. We, the, the two weeks will be over soon. They can go back. My kids can go back to school." And I knew that that wasn't going to happen. Like people were very very scared. But then I was like, then I was like, then I got a little bit optimistic in April, mid April. I'm like, okay, this is by May. People are, are going to come back to their senses. May 2020, people are going to come back to their senses. And my wife was like she still holds it against me she's like you you predicted they'd be open but we'd be open by the end of May <laughs> and that's one of you know one of the many things I've got wrong um okay so so 2020 uh 2020 happens uh it's obviously a, a crazy time um 
but you're you're still not making you're like when did you when did you start analyzing the CDC data? When did when did that uh, when did you like have, uh, when you start thinking okay this is something's not right at the national level? Yeah, there was there was some, and a lot of it was based more instead of directed at the CDC. Really, it was kind of more directed at the media because I kept seeing these media reports of oh this is happening, that's happening, and I was like, where are they getting this? Like you know, why aren't they? you know, representing the data fairly and things, but mostly still, like I was focused on Georgia a lot early on. It wasn't really until, um, you know, with like schools going back that I started getting more in the national picture because I was like, my daughter went back to school the first week of August. We had neighbors that had their kids in year round school. So they actually reopened in July. Um, and so that's when I started getting kind of more involved in the bigger picture besides just the local Georgia data was like, no, we need to be looking at kids. We need to be looking at the data on schools. Like kids are fine. Kids are going to be fine. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm kind of a naturally anxious person. So I mean, at first with, I was nervous and worried, but I was also worried, like you can't close down people's businesses. I mean, you just, I I was like, that's going to be economically just devastating to people financially, but also, you know, mentally. So I I knew there was going to be all these other impacts. I mean, it was, I was stressed about like, how are we going to handle this as, you know, a country and where is this going to go? But yeah, when I started realizing like people were going to have hesitation at reopening schools, it's like, well, once Georgia opens, we'll have some good data and then everybody else will, you know, we'll see that it's possible. (laughs) And I was like, but I've been, you know, I'd been at that point collecting a lot of international news and other reports I could find about kids and COVID. So that's kind of where the pivot, I guess, happened is is with regard to trying to get schools open um and so i I was like i was on the local news a couple times then of like trying to reassure parents locally of like you know kids are going to be all right i've been reporting on this data you know um and you know when it started to become obvious that uh other states were not going to follow you know we had you know an uptick after schools opened a well an apparent uptick especially because of how delayed the numbers were um but uh, yeah, there was a lot of kind of panic. And I was like, look, it's going back down. It's okay, you know. Um, but uh, by that point, it was like already set in stone that, you know, there was a lot of places that were not going to be opening schools <laughs> anytime soon. So that's when I, I started kind are. of picking more on the kid data with kids. And it really kind of picked up once we were like uncovered that data tracker um, where. I was because I was like a lot of the news reports were like, you know, oh, so many, you know, X number of kids have already died in the US, or whatever. And we were like, where are they getting these numbers? Because they didn't match the numbers I was getting from the CDC. And that's when it kind of went down <laughs> the rabbit hole with that. And uh, it kind of in in um twenty twenty late twenty twenty in Georgia. Really, it was it was Atlanta closed its schools. Much of the rest of Georgia has was was relatively open with its schools. Yeah, um, yeah. My daughter's in a private school, so she went back. Um, like I said, the first week of August, the district that we're in um, was supposed to start back in August, but at the last minute, there was kind of a big panic. Um, cases were high at that point um, because Georgia kind of has that summer trend or whatever of cases. Um, so you know, there was a lot of you know, kind of last minute changes within Metro Atlanta schools. Um, and so our 
you know, neighbors, you know, some of our neighbors weren't going back, but um, my daughter did. And so it kind of became, then I was like, we've got to get these other districts open locally. We've got to get, you know, these other states to see what's going on here. Um, And then it became an issue with the colleges as well as they were opening. And um, so, yeah, that's when I just started really kind of digging in on the data with kids. I was like, we have got to get this message out that, you know, the, the stratification of, you know, severity of COVID is weighs much, much more on the elderly. Um, we need to stop, you know, obsessing about what if a kid gets COVID. I mean, I sent my daughter back uh, and I told her, I was like, hey, you might get COVID. If you do, it'll be okay. It's <laughs> like, be, you know, I was like, Sweden never closed schools. Like I told her that. And I was like, if anybody's worried about going back to school, you tell them Sweden never closed schools for kids your age. Um, you know, and so she went back, like kind of armed with some information to, uh, to help reassure people and, uh, you know, to help reassure herself. And so she was always, you know, she was so excited to go back uh, in person and see everybody again. It's interesting, like the way you talk about things um, is the way I think about things is, is that, look, if I look at the data and the data tell me, uh, don't be scared, then I'm not going to be scared. But it, it seems like it's that's that's very rare. Like I, I, I 2020, I mean, in fact, my entire career, I spent thinking that like, you know, this is I spent my career d- d- analyzing data sets and, and reporting on them in scientific journals. Um, I figured that's how you move people. That's how you change people's minds. Um and uh, I, I've been—I was stunned during the pandemic that, that, in fact, those data by themselves, even if you if you talk about them reasonably, people will will it it, it doesn't move people like the, the especially people that are gripped gripped with fear. Um, that it's it's uh, it's by themselves not. Have you been? Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you've observed that, Kelly. Like, what, what was your like when you talk with friends yeah. or with? Uh, how did you think I mean, about that's that? definitely uh, an issue that I mean that we had and actually in one of the recent um, I think it was one of the COVID select committee meetings maybe or one of the congressional hearings um, one of the congress people they were like I don't even understand how we can get anywhere because we both look at the same data and we see different things and I was like yeah I mean that's been part of it as I'm like some people will try to, you know, oh, well, you're a minimizer. You don't want, you don't care about the data. You know, you want to mislead people. I was like, I am sharing the data. And I actually did um, like a podcast earlier where somebody's like, I'm struck by how, um, I forget how they said it, but basically like just how kind of plain my website was. It wasn't like flashy, oh, the government's lying to us. Everything's a lie. You know, the numbers are all zero or whatever. Like, I mean, I was like, this is the data. This is the data from the CDC. I happen to find it, you know, reassuring. Like, these are small numbers when you look at the size of this country, you know, when you're talking about kids. Um, So to me, I mean, I was looking at these numbers and other people see the same numbers and they are like, that's a huge number. Um, So that is definitely part of it is just how, how you see that data and what, you know, you know, kind of what you take from it is varies a lot from person to person. Okay, so now let's fast forward to 2021. Um, President mm-hmm. Biden comes in, in, into office, elected in part because uh, his promise to crush crush COVID. Uh, the schools in many places stay closed, um, and uh, you know the, the the vaccine comes out. They 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 rec- they recommend it at scale, including to children. Um, that they the. Uh, uh, the White House coordinator, she shot one point, gets up and, and puts uh, and, and from the White House podium, tells the American public 
that uh, this is in 2021 that that kids are at high risk, like very very high risk, um, with and and gives like specific numbers about the number of child deaths. And uh, I remember looking at that and thinking, you know, this is out of line. Um, I, in fact, I, I, that, by that point, I discovered your your Twitter account. So and I, I tracked uh, your, your and I'd gone back to the CDC Wonder data and, and I looked and said, yeah, you were counting it right. And yet there's the White House coordinator, uh, White House COVID coordinator from the White House podium telling the American public that, uh, you know, what, what is it? I forget exactly the number, but like thousands, a th- thousands of child deaths from COVID. Um, can you talk about that episode? I mean, because I, I think you played a pretty important part in that, uh, in in correcting the White House around that. Um, well, I'm trying to remember exactly which. There's been so many times, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's, you know, several times where it came up. Um, and I mean, it came up in ACIP meetings. It came up with, you know, Director Walensky. Uh, I mean, it just came from every direction. Uh, when we had a Supreme Court uh, justice, you know, spouting off inaccurate hospitalization numbers <laughs> for kids. <laughs> uh, and basically, I mean, some of the stuff I would come across myself, some of the stuff other people would send it to me and they'd say, is this right? Um, can you, can you and, let's, let's just talk, talk about that Supreme Court number? Because that was that was striking. That was in, in, in the context of a decision on mm-hmm. vaccine mandates. Yeah. And uh, and the uh, uh, Sotomayor, the, the Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, mm-hmm. um, said something like hundreds of thousands, 100,000 children yeah, hospitalized. Yeah, she said 100,000 and uh, hospitalized children, and she was like, many of them severe. And the number was like 4,500 children in the hospital with a positive COVID diagnosis, no indication of severity, um, no indication. I mean, we know, in fact, that a percentage of those weren't there for COVID at all. They were there for broken bones or you know other treatments or things that kids might be hospitalized for. Um, you know, uh, where do you I think mean, she got that number from? Like, where, where, where did... I have no idea. Usually, like, that's kind of one of the things I think I'm pretty good at is when I see these numbers, I can usually go, Oh, I know where they got that number, and I can back it out like an auditor kind of and say, Oh, they accidentally added these two things, or they're accidentally referring to this other age group, or whatever. And I never could figure out where that number came from. Um, you know, like I said, you're usually I, it's kind of satisfying to say, okay, I see where they got that. They're talking about X, what they, you know, claimed it was about Y or whatever. But in that case, I was like, that seemed to just be um, just kind of like folklore almost. <laughs> like she just had, you know, came up with that. It was just, I mean, it was a very, you know, perfectly round number. It was a hundred thousand or whatever. That to me just is like, that's just like, oh, what's a big number that I think I heard kind of somewhere. Um, I mean, like, so, I, I, mean I, I, I can forgive rounding when you're public, you know, doing public communication, right? So like something where you're, uh, you're, you're saying informally in the context of a podcast, even or or, or uh, you say okay, about, about about a thousand, something like that, right? Because you know, who cares if it's nine ninety nine or a thousand and one? Um, but uh, but like the Supreme Court justice. Talking it was on, off by I, 20 times. <laughs> I know. That's not rounding. <laughs> yeah, it was, rounding. it was way off. Um, and I mean, there were other times like um, Megan Rainey, she was on. Uh, Megan Rainey, she's the, she's the now the dean at Yale. Yeah. Public, she was public. on, I forget if it was CNN or MSNBC or somewhere where she told somebody, um, well, now, you know, most of the deaths are in young people. And I was like, What? And, you know, when I looked up what she was talking about, because there were some more details she had, I was like, 
She meant most of the cases. Uh, <laughs> it's like very few of the deaths are in young people. So that's where I'm like, I, I know what stat she was trying to cite or whatever, but I was like, that's a huge difference. The word cases versus the word deaths. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And yeah, then one little update, like on Twitter, of like, oh, yep, sorry, I meant cases. Doesn't have near the audience that whoever was watching, like I said, I, I think it might have been CNN uh, at the time, but I'm like, that, you, you have to be more careful and you have, like, you have to know that that stat is like completely you know, well, like one, one unmoored like, from reality. <laughs> yeah, like, for, like, so for kids, Thank God, the vast, vast, vast majority of cases tend to be mild. It's it's a cold for the vast majority of kids, right? I mean, that's just a fact. Um, and even even like long COVID, right? There are statistics. Uh, people I've seen statistics trying to scare scare parents around long COVID. But then in places that have done uh, analyses with control groups, people who had COVID, uh, kids who had COVID, could compared against kids who didn't, and then they tracked uh, the 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 prevalence of. Uh, various symptoms associated with a, a long COVID syndrome, they're roughly equal rates. Yeah. So, it's... <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of, I mean, a lot of the big numbers come from studies either that are yeah poorly done or, you know, they don't have control groups. They include all kinds of things. They go by, you know, records, you know, health records that are, you know, who knows what they say and they make a lot of assumptions. Uh, long COVID is definitely one of the topics just like, I mean, children, all the numbers get exaggerated and blown out of proportion. Long COVID, those numbers get exaggerated and blown out of proportion. All the mass data gets blown out of proportion and mis like, uh, there's like certain topics that it's just like, you kind of know, oh, well, the studies on that are going to be questionable. <laughs> Kelly, so have, you, have you learned to read studies? Because like I, I, what I do for a living is I train students how to read papers. But that's like, like my main important job, actually. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's been stunning to watch professionals not know how to read papers. Whereas, you're, like, it seems to me like you're, you're learning, you know how to read these empirical papers. Uh, is, that, is that part of your training, your background? How did, how did you come to this knowledge? Or is it just, just you just have good, good uh, instincts? Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. It's like, I, I double majored in college. I mean, I had, just have undergraduate degrees, but I have in psychology and educational studies. Um, so, I mean, I... I worked on a fair bit of, you know, reading papers in college and doing stuff like that. But I wouldn't say I had any like in-depth training on on how to read them and pick them apart or, you know, but I, I had at least a kind of a rough idea of of what was involved. And um, I mean, you know, yeah, I guess I'm just good. like I said, I'm kind of a numbers person. Um, I I just kind of have that sense where I can kind of see those things and um, they just kind of jump out at me sometimes. So uh, and I just learned a lot, like early on, kind of seeing what other people like. I would see a study early on, and I'm like, that doesn't really sound right. And then I kind of read an analysis of it or whatever, I'm like, oh yeah, I see what they did there. And then I just kind of, you know, apply those same kind of things of like, oh well, now I know where to look. You know, let's look for this, let's check that. But a lot of it is just double checking the numbers or you know checking where the data came from. Um, it's a lot of it isn't. Uh, you know, super complex. I mean, I'm not like pulling out, you know, like programs and doing complex analysis on things like anything I do, like numbers wise analysis is done basically in Excel. 
if that, I mean, sometimes it's just like the calculator program you know, on Windows. I'll just pull it up and I'm like, add a couple numbers. I'm like, nope, those do not add to what they say they do. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, so, so and other times so it's just knowing that the number like, you know, doesn't, doesn't match reality. Like you can just immediately, sometimes I'll see a number and I'm like, we just know that's not true. Like there's no evidence that that number's right. So let's see where you dug up, you know, where you got that and why. And so, so okay. So now I want to talk about a particular paper that came mm-hmm. out uh, uh, by was this paper put out by Imperial, the uh, some folks at the Imperial College of London, Seth Flaxman mm-hmm. and, his, and his colleagues. Um, and uh, it was, I think in 2022, this paper came out and it made the extraordinary claim that in the United States, this, you know, this is a UK group analyzing American data, um, in the United States, uh, COVID is a, what, like a top five cause of death or something for mm-hmm. children. That was, that was the headline. And it was, it was blared all over the press. The press ran with it and, and, and jumped on top of it, uh, again, trying to, uh, scaring living daylights out of, out of, out of, out of parents. Um, and uh, so you, you published or you wrote a, 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 an analysis of the, of the paper. It was first released as a Med Archive preprint, right? So a preprint mm-hmm. is a paper that has not been peer-reviewed. Um, it makes no claims to be peer-reviewed. It's usually put out by, um, by uh, scientific authors that want feedback from a, a, a paper. So, I mean, I don't blame the authors themselves. People, scientists make mistakes all the time. That's standard. Um, but the, pr- the press picked this up and again, scared the living daylights out of everybody. So you, you looked at this paper and what, so what did you make of the paper? And uh, to please tell the story. So, well, the press picked it up because the CDC picked it up and used it in an ACIP meeting to push the vaccine for five to 11 year olds. Um, and I think it was part of like their coordinated PR effort to, you know, to tell parents why, I mean, Walensky cited that statistic in a White House briefing explaining why parents needed to get their kids vaccinated. Um, and so I, you know, I, I don't think it was any mistake that the press picked that article or that uh, paper up, but yeah, it came out in the ACIP and immediately several people that were in the meeting were just for the sharing it on Twitter. Uh, just, just so I know, ACIP is the, oh, uh, yes. the, the advisory committee on immunization practices that the CDC has, essentially it's like an external expert group that advises the CDC on what recommendations that it ought to make regarding vaccinations, right? Yes. And I think it was used um, in the FDA's advisory committee meetings a couple days before that as well. But for some reason, it didn't really kind of take off until it showed up um, in the ACIP meeting. I think a lot more people were tuned into that. Um, And several people immediately were sharing the slide on Twitter. And that's when um, I think I had actually seen it one place, but I was like busy. So I hadn't looked closely or something. And then someone else sent me the slide and like, it just started quickly snowballing because everybody was sending it to me and they're like, they're tagging me. They're like, Kelly, this can't be right. Right. This can't be right. And I was like, no, this isn't right. I mean, like I just knew, I mean, I had done that query myself. So I knew it was like eighth or ninth, not in the top five. Um, like off the top of my head. And I was like, literally anyone at the CDC that's involved in this should have known that, you know, off the top of their head. And then when I even looked at it, I was like, it was even in previous ACIP slides that it was eighth or ninth. So I was like, how did it just suddenly, they think, jumped up to five? I was like, I don't even think they really believed that themselves. But they had a preprint that said that. And so they, you know, embraced it. 
Um, but when I looked, I was like, how could they even come up with that? And again, that's where I'm like, okay, I know the data is wrong, but how could you have possibly, you know, where did it come from? So when I looked into it, it was that they were comparing COVID deaths from the entirety of the pandemic, which was like 26 months at that point, um, to uh, deaths from other causes for one year. Like they took 2019 deaths and then they compared it to 26 months of COVID deaths. And so I was like, well, that would certainly, um, you know, move it up the list. And they actually had in their um, tables in the preprint, they had annualized the number as well. So they actually had it ranked twice. So it was like one, two, three, COVID, something else, four, five, COVID annualized. And I was like, so the CDC purposely picked the cumulative. Like it said it was cumulative. It was very clear. Um, I mean, it was a strange decision on the preprint, well, I mean, you know, but for some people, I guess it's always 2020 and it always will be 2020 from now on out. I mean, just, and every single COVID death is a 2020 death, I guess. Right. So, um, anyway. I mean, that was the, the most obvious problem that really anybody could understand. And so again, like, you know, some people were kind of joking when I did the analysis, they were like, this is not a sophisticated analysis. Like it doesn't take, you know, and you can be in elementary school and know that two years is, of data is going to be more than one year of data. Um, but then on top of it, uh, I realized they were using the multiple cause deaths for COVID and comparing it to the underlying cause deaths for all the other causes. Um, so that further that's a that. point that's very, very important for people to understand. Yes, so this is, it's kind of a strange uh, thing to understand, but I, I was familiar enough with the numbers that I was like, I see what they're doing here. I know where they're getting these. Um, Multiple cause of death just means COVID is listed anywhere on the death certificate. Normally, the death certificate will list a series of events that cause your death. So, you know, maybe you got sick with something and then that led to, you know, respiratory issue or, you know, heart attack or whatever. And it goes from there. Um, but that whatever caused that initial thing, that would be your underlying cause of death, whether it was a car accident or cancer or, um, you know, an illness or whatever else. Um, and so that's the underlying cause is basically what started the chain of events that, that led to the death. And then there's the things that follow it. And there's also a section called contributing factors. So anything else like, oh, well, the person was a smoker. Oh, well, the person, you know, was obese or, oh, the person had, you know, congestive heart failure or whatever else that might've just been another ongoing condition with the person. Um, so if COVID is listed in that contributing factor, um, it's considered a multiple cause of death. But, you know, if you were in a car accident um, and this happened, I mean, in Georgia, I know there was someone who was killed in a car accident, but they said they also had COVID and that complicated their recovery from the massive car accident. Um, and so that counts as a COVID death from multiple cause, um, you know, but mostly people think underlying cause of like a person got COVID and then suddenly it progressed from there and it got worse. And that would be COVID as the underlying cause of death. So, like, so, so the, the underlying cause is a, is a smaller yeah. number. Like, so, What's right, that? So it's, like, it's like a distinction between someone dying from COVID or dying with COVID. Right. right. That's that kind of, of the more, you know, kind of common vernacular for it. But even still, it's very questionable kind of how those align with what ends up on the death certificate. Um, but, but yeah, kind of at a basic level. And, but the, so the multiple cause is a bigger number because it includes all the underlying cause plus all these other times that it's listed on there elsewhere. Right. Um, 
So with kids, I think it's about, I'm going to check the latest numbers. Um, it's about two thirds um, of the pediatric deaths. It's an underlying cause and about one third, it ends up being a multiple cause. So that's where I knew when I saw A, they were using 26 months of data and B, they were using multiple cause and comparing it to underlying cause that also obviously skews things. <laughs> okay. So they make two very, very big errors in their, in their mm-hmm. preprint. Um, uh, the, like these are errors that basically anyone who, who uses these kinds of data for, uh, for a living ought to be able to see. The CDC, the ACIP, this is the expert panel convened by the CDC in order to get advice about vaccination, they, they, it, it, they're usually the briefing, me, uh, the briefing materials at these meetings are, are prepared by uh, CDC staff. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that present the briefing materials to the experts. So you have the CDC staff running with this paper that makes these two very, very basic errors. And again, I don't have any problem with scientists making errors we make them all the time that's just normal for us and this is a preprint it's supposed to it's supposed to find errors so I'm, I'm, uh, so that's fine um, but that but the CDC staff then uses it to brief this these panel of experts about whether kids in this country ages 5 to 11 should get the covid should be recommended to get the covid vaccine many and, and this has consequences because it's not just that the recommendation is followed or not followed but like a lot of places you know, summer camps or schools will say, okay, well, we weren't going to let kids enroll unless they are vaccinated. We're not going to let kids into public mm-hmm. libraries unless they're vaccinated, right? So it has huge social consequences. These experts, they don't pick up on this error. These two very, very yeah, basic errors. I, I, this still kind of bothers me because obviously they were capable of running. I mean, this is a simple query from Wonder. Like I was able to recreate all the numbers in the paper, like within less than an hour, I think. Um, so, I mean, there's no reason that the CDC needed to look for a preprint with this data because they could have just run this query themselves. I mean, the paper itself really was no more than a couple of searches on the CDC website. Um, so I'm not really sure why the CDC looked elsewhere for date, like an analysis of data, of their own data, um, in such a basic analysis. I mean, it was it's literally one of the options on the wonder thing is just what are the leading causes of death? And you can pick an age group and a time period, and it just shows it to you. Um, so obviously the CDC is capable of doing that themselves. So it seems to me like they, you know, wanted to use this preprint to basically get data that they couldn't create themselves because <laughs> they couldn't figure out how to make it be a top five, but these other people had. And so they went with that. Um and that's what's really concerning to me. So I contacted the author, um, Seth Flaxman. He was the corresponding author like over that weekend because it came out on a Friday. I think I sent him a message like Friday afternoon or Saturday. Um, and then I also contacted the CDC, um, the person who had you know, presented the slideshow there. And I never did hear back from the CDC, um, but uh, We've seen some of the emails <laughs> because of Freedom of Information Act requests. Uh, and yeah, there was a flurry of emails of people, um, you know, because I also they, reached out to some of the reporters who cited that. And so they were contacting the CDC saying, what's your take on this lady's, you know, critique? Kelly, that, was, that was hilarious reading those for you. What did it feel like to see the CDC and the government <laughs> officials talking about you? <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> 
It's a, it was a very strange thing to see emails, you know, if, uh, as people, you know, yeah, talking about me and seeing my email in like official, you know, Freedom of Information Act requests, like to see my own message. I was like, cause I, I was like, I sent them an email and they're like, oh, it's in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was a very surreal kind of experience. Uh, I'm sure you've, <laughs> you've had several of those yourself. <laughs> yes, I have. Oh, goodness. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, you uh, since then, after that, I'd like, and I think that that was before mm-hmm. you you started collaborating with uh, some uh, some academics like uh, Vinay Prasad mm-hmm. at UCSF and Tracy Beth Hogg, um, and, and started writing these fantastically interesting papers, uh, essentially auditing the the communications and activities of the CDC regarding basic scientific matters on COVID. And, uh, yeah, I was only involved um, directly in the one um, on the statistical and numerical errors. And it's because that's okay. that's tell, kind of my areas like, you know, tell, tell, um, I prefer tell, to work in stuff that's very black and white, you know. So it's like if the number's four and they say it's 12 or whatever, that's very easy right, for me right. to, you know, kind of. <laughs> Kelly, let's set this up because the audience needs to hear this. Uh, and I, I want you to take as much time as you need to describe in detail what did you find in this paper when you looked and asked how commonly did the CDC make these errors, basic numerical errors on COVID? And what what consequences do you think it had for behavior by the American public, by uh, policymaking, by, 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 uh, by, by um, you know, government officials? Um, and, uh, and, and then maybe we can end with a little discussion about like, well, how can we fix this? How can, how can we make sure that this, is it always just going to take citizen scientists uh, auditing, being being skeptical, or or there's something systematic we can do inside inside the government to try to fix fix this, so these kinds of errors get picked up much faster, and and people are more friendly. That oh, the yeah. kind of papers you 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 delivered. That's a very good question. Um, so basically, I mean, when we were putting the paper together, I mean, a lot of it was just a compilation of you know things we had kind of found along the way, um, and you know that. Either things that, again, either I uncovered or things people had sent me that, you know, I was involved in kind of tracking down or things, you know, others of, you know, uh, others of us had come across and noted um, throughout the pandemic of, you know, well, they messed up this number again, you know, they reported the wrong number, they, I mean, that's, that was the focus of that paper, Um, you know, now there's been some others with some other areas that they've touched on with like the or latest one about mass studies and there's different things like that as well. But um, there was just kind of a long list. Um, there's about 25 items that were just, the number was this and they said it was this. And uh, some of them were just basic calculation errors. Some of them were, you know, probably more like data tabulation problems, um, but that just, there was no error checking to, to catch so that these things went out or, you know, the, the data tracker where we, you know, they track the pediatric deaths in two different places via two different methods. And one of the methods, I mean, seems to have a problem. Like it's grossly overstates pediatric deaths specifically for certain age groups of children. Um, And they basically never really had an answer on that. They did make a correction at one point, and that was actually written up. There was an article in the BMJ about it uh, where they had corrected child deaths. But I think they ended up actually adding a lot of them back at some point uh, 
because I don't think there there's some problem still with how those numbers are tabulated um, because they don't match the actual data that you know the CDC has in Wonder. And I mean, they've said very clearly in multiple media inquiries, like the data in, in Wonder or the NCHS data, um, that's the official data versus the data tracker is just this other little surveillance kind of you know, demographic information. I'm like, just take it down because it's misleading. And I mean, Walensky cited it multiple times. You know, it's cited in the media. People so, take so, that as truth. Me, so let me, let me just like ask a question about that. So, so mm-hmm. what you're saying, just to, just so that the, so so we can so I can understand. So, mm-hmm. um, the CDC has its its wonder system. This wonder system is essentially like uh, the the official death certificate tracking uh, mm-hmm. uh, summary. In addition to the that that wonder system, they had another COVID mortality data tracker. So Separate. the the other data tracker is is it covers a lot of different things, but yes, it is various data, and there's one section of it on demographics, and so it goes through and it's like deaths by you know age, deaths by sex, and goes through several different things. Um, and, you know, ethnicity, I think, is one of the groups on there. And that's trying to kind of show, you know, compared to the population where things are. But the data in it is just not accurate. Uh, you know, so it just doesn't, It's <laughs> it just isn't a very helpful, especially when you're getting to something like pediatric deaths, where it's, you know, a little bit off makes a big difference. Um, in adult deaths, you know, to be off by a few hundred or whatever, one way or another, wouldn't make a bit of difference. But when you're off by a few hundred for children's deaths, that's a big percentage. Uh, so that's where they've kind of run into issues, you know, trying to use those numbers. And that same data tracker actually grossly like underestimates the adult deaths or not estimates. I don't, it's not an estimate. It is an actual number, but underreports the adult deaths compared to all the other systems. So I'm like, they never, you know, know to use that data when they're trying to talk about adult deaths because they don't like it because it's too small. But when they want to talk about pediatric deaths, that seems to be the go-to place because, um, you know, the number is the biggest one that they have. So it gets the most attention. So it's so in other words, uh, you have two two systems, one, the official mm-hmm. system that's supposedly much more checked. And I mean, I have some problems, but like it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's like the, the CDC wonder system. And you have this sort of unofficial system. Um, less well checked. The, the the when the unofficial system exaggerates the the harm from COVID children, the officials that 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 talk about the data, like the CDC, will will point to the unofficial system. Mm-hmm. And then when they're talking about a, adults, where the where that 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 unofficial system doesn't exaggerate the number of deaths, they point to the official system. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so just let, I, I wanted to just read. I mean, like, can I just read a, a few things? And I just uh, let's read them because uh, the, the sure. list is unbelievable to me. Uh, the list of what, what you guys found is unbelievable to me, and I want the audience to hear it, and I want the audience to see you explain <laughs> explain your reaction when you heard heard it. Okay, sure. So I just I just read a few things. Okay, so uh, uh, February twenty sixth, twenty twenty one. The MMWR stated that during the study period, a seven day moving average of cases identified by PCR antigen tests ranged from 152 to 577 cases, right? So the MMWR is the CDC's official organ that, that communicates scientific results mm-hmm. to the public, um, morbidity and mortality weekly report, right? Um, and uh, they were tracking the number of cases of COVID identified by 
either PCR, PCR is that they're both nose. You stick the thing up your nose, but different technologies for sticking things up your nose. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you, and, then, and then range from 152 to 100, uh, 557 cases. So okay, what, what did you you have you have here in your in your report? Uh, remember, this is the official scientific journal of the CDC, and you write they exaggerated the data for children. So so t- explain is this is this, so, this is what we've been talking about. Yeah, the um, that happened to be an MMWR about a school outbreaks um, in my county. So um, <laughs> it was county case data. So of course I was extremely familiar with that because I was still reporting, you know, the Georgia data on a regular basis. And I was like, that's not what the county rates were at the time. <laughs> um, and so I pulled it up and I did the numbers myself. And it was like, I forget the exact details, but it was. Um, it was off by like in multiple ways. Like it was, I forget if it was a daily or weekly average and they said it was the opposite or whatever. And then it was also like, it didn't include antigens or it did include, there was like several ways. And I was like, man, it's like not really what they said it is at all. Um, And that was kind of the first, the first instance um, I had actually interacting with the CDC on making a correction as I contacted the author of that paper and they wrote back and they were like, Oh, you're right. We, we got the wrong case dates. And then I suggested also like, why are we using it by report date? You know, we also in Georgia track it by onset for a much more accurate thing. Cause sometimes these cases get reported much later. Um, and I think you would have seen like there was an o- only an outbreak during when cases were extremely, extremely high. It was like right at the peak. And so their numbers weren't really reflecting that. They were showing that it happened at a much lower rate. And I was like, but because of the delayed reporting, I'm like, if you would actually be reporting it based on when they happened, um, you, know, you would have had a, a more accurate data and people would see, oh, okay, it was like during the two weeks when it was the very worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they were like, oh, well, no, we don't want to use that date. We always use the reported by date because we think it's more reliable or something. And I was like, but we know sometimes those reported by dates were sometimes weeks or months after the fact because the labs would get backed up. And even though they're running the tests, they weren't necessarily reporting it to the state in a timely manner. Um, so, okay. I mean, I got somewhat of a correction on that. And then I also just kind of shrugged. I well, was like, okay, well. Okay. I- so let, let's, let's, let's give them the due. At least, you know, again, you publish something in a scientific journal and you make a mistake and uh, someone. They, they did correct it. So that's good. Um, how about this one? How about this one? Uh, Del- uh, the Delta variant is as contagious as chickenpox. This is an announcement, I guess, by the, in, in a CDC slide deck in July 2021. Delta variant is as contagious as chickenpox. Is yeah. it as contagious <laughs> as chickenpox? Um, so that was a strange one. They It was a an internal slide presentation they had done, and they just, like, grabbed a... Again, very strange to me that they're not using their own internal data, but they grabbed a graphic from the New York Times that showed, I think it was from the New York Times, that showed the how um, contagious things were, you know, the, um, the are not or whatever for different things. And then they just sort of threw COVID up there on the graph. <laughs> and basically, like, there was, you know, kind of, there was articles that came out immediately that were like, that's just not, you know, that's just not accurate where they where they put that, that it wasn't as contagious as chicken pox. They just sort of like drew a box on someone else's graph and, you know, kind of put it out there, which, <laughs> so I was like, 
I was like, I mean, I was like, there's no way that they used a newspaper's graph on how contagious diseases were when they're the Centers for Disease Control. Like, surely they have their own graph of how contagious different diseases are. But, I mean, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, <laughs> measles and chickenpox these are ridiculously contagious viruses like crazily contagious you know you, you don't need to be in a chickenpox party for very long and everyone is going to get chickenpox in there unless they've already had it before or had that vaccine okay so here's another one uh i love this one uh july 27th this is just a day after in 2021 from the covid19 website i guess the cdc's covid19 website four percent of covid19 deaths are children zero to 17. Four percent. That admits sounds like a really <laughs> terrible thing for children. For four and a hundred of the deaths are are okay. So that's 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 really bad, Kelly. What what uh, what do you make of this claim? Yeah. So this was saying four um, percent of all COVID deaths were in children is what that statistic was claiming. Uh, and but obviously we know deaths. Oh, yeah, God. it wasn't four percent of children were dying. Of, it was four percent of all COVID deaths they were claiming were from children. Okay. Um, and I mean. I, you know, some, that was one actually someone else had, had flagged. And, um, I was like, that cannot possibly, <laughs> I was like, where are they getting those okay, numbers so, so again? Tell, tell, tell the folks what is the real number. What's the, what's the actual number? Not um, well, it was 0. 0.07, uh, at the time, I believe is what it ended up being. 0. Um, that's like what I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose track <laughs> of zeros, but that's, that's at least like, you know what, like 50 times less. <laughs> It's it was very strange, and when I, I was like, I don't know how they got four out of point oh seven, but um, you know that was another one where I was kind of like, I was a little frustrated. I couldn't track down originally um, where that came from, um, but uh, I reached out to the CDC and they they were fixed those numbers. Um, but then in researching for the paper, uh, I did actually find the original, you know, where that number came from is that they had updated the page. So there was a table above that graph that showed the 4% that had the numbers that theoretically those percentages should have come from. Um, and so that's where you could calculate and get the 0.07 yourself. I mean, it was just divide the number of deaths by, you know, so, uh, you know, the number of children deaths out of divided by the total number of deaths. But uh, I was like, again, I'm like, I don't know where seven to four, like I, I didn't get that, but, um, there was a previous version of that table where it actually did calculate out to 0.04. So someone, I think, saw, you know, they got 0.0004. They did times by 100 or whatever to get the, but then I think they saw 0.04 and went, oh, well, that's 4%. Like, because, you know, they they did the multiplying by 100 twice. Um <laughs> And so then I was like, well, then that was very clear then where that number came from. Um, and it was the matter of then when they updated the data at the top half of the page, they, ne they never updated the graph at the bottom half. Okay, so let's let's jump forward to December 20th, 2021. Uh, Omicron makes its appearance in South Africa. Uh, the U.S. Uh, cl shuts down travel from South Africa. It's like we're in, and like we, we're, we're, everyone's in a panic about this new variant. Uh, that's displacing Delta. It's December 20th. Uh, uh, there, there's some reports out of South Africa that maybe Omicron's less deadly than um, than, than than Delta had been, um, although like people in public health are denying that we know anything about that. Um, 
and there, there's still warnings about okay this is a brand new variant it's a variant you know my god let's let's panic right um and there's a uh, there is a statement by uh on the data tracker this is that that second mm-hmm. unofficial system and it's and it and the statement says omicron makes up 73 percent of new infections in the u.s on december 20th 2021 um okay uh did it make up 73% in 2021? Yeah, so that was a startling uh, a startling number that came out, and a lot of people panicked. And actually, there was um, it was another woman who uh, reports on some of the Georgia COVID data, and she actually had commented, which kind of made me chuckle a little bit, that she was she was on a plane at the time when that number came out, and they were taking a family vacation or whatever because they thought the numbers were looking good. And she was like, we would not have gotten on the plane if I'd seen that number before the flight. <laughs> and I was like, you would have canceled a vacation based on a variant percentage. Like I was blown away by that. Like, but people, and I mean, a lot of people listened to her and, you know, so I mean, that kind of fear over that number has a lot of impact, even though it just seems like what's a very, a variant percentage on some CDC website. But I mean, that was splashed all over the media um, that, you know, this new scary variant Omicron was now all, already 73%. It must be growing extremely fast. Um, and that came from an estimate that was like one of their early estimates from their now cast forecasting or whatever. And, you know, it would, had a huge confidence interval uh, and it was like, whoa, whoa, like there's really, we, there's no reason to believe that's an accurate number. Um you know, you have to take like, and no one was reporting like, oh, there's this huge confidence interval and we don't know. And, you know, some people, um, some smarter people, I think were saying like, there's very good reason to believe this is an overestimate because of, you know, measuring new variants like that tends to happen. But I was like, we have need to wait like this number. We need to wait a week and see what it kind of settles out to be. And sure enough, a week later, it was not even within their confidence interval. It was much, much lower than 73%. So it's like, it was, I mean, they, they scared a lot, a lot of people, you know, going into the holidays um, with a number that just wasn't, I, it wasn't realistic whatsoever. Like they had it jumping from almost nothing to 73%. And I forget what the exact number was, but it was much, much lower. And like I said, outside their confidence intervals. So you, the number you have in the paper says 23%. So they're yeah. only off by <laughs> percentage points. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So Omicron hits. It actually does start to spread in in early 2022. Um, mm-hmm. Vast numbers of people get COVID. Many of whom thought they 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 had escaped by by various you know lockdown means or something. Um, and people start to realize maybe they can't they can't actually restructure their lives to avoid mm-hmm. COVID. It's just not possible. Um, in uh, February 2022, February 24th, 2022. Uh, the CDC, again on this data tracker, writes, COVID-19 hospitalization had a, a sudden more than 1.6-fold increase in Georgia per the HHS CDC data. Oh, I'm sorry, what, what one was that? This is February 24th, 2022. Mm-hmm. COVID-19 hospitalizations had a sudden more than one and a half, oh. 1.6-fold increase in uh, Georgia per the HHS CDC data. Yes. So there was several of these. Um, I want to make sure I had the right thing <laughs> um, where the CDC was reporting hospitalization data um, 
on their website. And again, that's sort of another part of the data tracker um, that's the, the mortality data in the data tracker is really the unofficial part. The rest of it is is just kind of their the name for their whole surveillance system. But so, yeah, between CDC and HHS, it was kind of a joint thing that they were collecting and reporting this data. Um, and yeah, Georgia hospitalizations had this huge spike suddenly. And I was looking at another system that tracked Georgia hospitalizations. And I was like, it's not there. It's not in our local system. It's only appearing in the national data. Um, and it was just some kind of fluke. I mean, a hospital reported, you know, they typoed a digit or we, you know, I don't really know what caused that. Um, but HHS when notified was able to go, Oh yeah, you're right. And fix those numbers. But anytime those kind of things happen, you know, the media watches those they see and whether it's pediatric hospitalizations or hospitalizations for a specific state, um, you know, they see those numbers jump and, you know, people panic. They say, oh, what's going on? Something bad must be happening. You know, kids must be super at risk all of a sudden, or there must be some terrible outbreak in Georgia. Um, and I, I mean, data analysis and aggregation is complicated and there's, it's prone to a lot of errors when you're collecting data from, you know, hospitals all over the state and then multiple states all over the country and adding them all together. Um, but part of the process of doing that is error checking to see when I have a number that does something unnatural. Um, you know, a lot of people like um, people that monitor it and report it who are a little more reality based um, would see those numbers and they say, oh, there's a problem with the Georgia numbers or there's a problem with the pediatric hospitalization numbers or whatever. But when you're the CDC and you're reporting that, other people in the media and even other people in public health sometimes don't don't make that assumption that it's a mistake. They see a huge spike and they think something terrible happened. Um, so there's a responsibility when you're reporting data that you're making sure the data you're reporting is accurate. Even if it's, well, that's the numbers that, that I was given. You kind of go back like and say, are you sure? I mean, people like know that in their normal, ordinary lives. Like if you you know sell widgets and your customer that normally orders 10 widgets suddenly orders 10,000 widgets, you call them up or whatever, and you're like, did you really want 10,000? Like that number is out of line with what your normal, you know, history is. And that's what kind of wasn't happening here is these numbers were getting reported with no, you know, checking of like, does this seem realistic? I mean, an accountant, they wouldn't just give like the CEO some report and like, oh, here, you know, normally we make X number, but now we lost a bunch of money this quarter or whatever without like going through the report and going, oh, no, I messed something up or somebody gave me the wrong number. Like you you check and make sure the numbers you're reporting are accurate. You don't just kind of go, well, that's what I was told and throw it out there for, you know, others to be misled by. I mean, the things is uh, looking through the list of errors this happened over and over again. So mm -hmm. just in 2022, uh, there there was that the, the one we just talked about uh, the, the the example from um, uh, uh, from um, from Georgia. Uh, Georgia. Then there was another one from Alabama. In that August one, yeah, that one got picked up um, by uh, I forget who, but one of the I think it was Julia Raifman, um, and she posted on Twitter pediatric hospitalizations are going way up. There must be some problem. Kids are all of a sudden being hospitalized. So, so, so Julia Rafen, she's a epidemiologist mm -hmm. at, uh, uh, I think, Boston University or something, right? So she's, yes, she's I believe uh, so. officially trained and supposed to look at these kind of data and have 
a little bit of skepticism about these kinds of things, but she, she picks yeah. this up uh, because Alabama has a big increase, a big reported increase in, in right. pediatric hospitalization. Well, it was, it was so big that it affected the national numbers. So she didn't even see that it was an Alabama issue. She was like, national pediatric, pediatric hospitalizations have spiked. And that's because the numbers are so low that, you know, one state can throw off the national numbers even. Um, so when I saw the national numbers was, spiked, I, I mean, go through and I'm like, okay, well, let's see what region it's coming from. Oh, it's coming from region four. That's the Southeast. Okay. Well, let's check the States in region four. Oh, it's only coming from Alabama. And when you look at the Alabama data, you know, it's like all of a sudden a line straight up instead of, you know, a, a, a line that does this all of a sudden it's like, you know, <laughs> like clearly that's not an accurate the data point, like, I mean, you just kind of instinctively can look at that and say, oh, well, that's not correct. Um, but yeah, there seemed to be no checking to make sure, you know, like uh, to me, there should have been checks of like, well, if a number suddenly, you know, doubles by, you know, and increases by more than X or whatever, you know, you should like somebody needs to just double check. And I mean, even if the numbers were accurate, like, then you would want to send like some CDC team out to Alabama, I assume, to figure out what happened with children. Like they're reporting this data, but it's seemingly not caring what it said. Um, so I'm like, the, the accuracy matters. There's people that rile up parents and get them all scared about sending their kids to school because of a typo in the Alabama hospitalizations. I mean, that you know shouldn't keep children in Boston home from school. <laughs> uh, that's it when you're presenting data that has that kind of impact, you have more of a responsibility to, you know, confirm its accuracy. People get scared over those data, you know, mm -hmm. so November. Okay. So moving forward, November 9, 2022, Florida pediatric hospitalizations have a dramatic single week increase from seven to 112. <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, the same thing is, you know, one, like a, there was a typo, like a Florida hospital, you know, they put in an extra zero or whatever. <laughs> and, and no one, you know, at the national level, I mean, this happens, obviously, like this happened multiple times. And December 31, North Carolina pediatric hospitalization <laughs> has a dramatic single week increase from two to 19. Yeah. I, Another to typo? me, those kind of numbers should be raising red flags, either a there's an error in the data that the people presenting the data should should fix or be, you know, the people we should be investigating because that would be a horrible problem. Like suddenly hospitalizations, you know, increase by 10 times in one week. Like, I mean, you would think that, you know, if, if that was worth raising alarm bells about, you know, like if that was true, it would be worth, yeah, sending a team out or contacting doctors there saying what's happening with the kids in North Carolina or whatever. And, and um, in each of these cases, it was a typo or some sort of I mean, that's all, that's yeah, what it, it was. was an right? error. They were just, oops, yeah. that's not, that's not accurate. <laughs> all right. One, one last one and we'll, and we'll close. Um, sure. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, MMWR again in January, 2023, table two lists 62 events for children needing medical care as 13 point, so 13.9%. So 14% of kids uh, needed medical care. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that's what, I mean, and that um, was actually one of the rare it? ones that, that didn't exaggerate the risk of COVID. It actually exaggerated the risk of the vaccine, the vaccine. Um, in young children. So, I mean, that is one where, you know, a lot of these people are like, you shouldn't call these errors, you know, they're lies. I was like, 
some of these, you know, are maybe intentionally misleading. Some of them literally are. I mean, I think that was a typo. I think somebody just I mean, put okay, the wrong percentage is, there. This is a typo in a in a journal in the in the major scientific <laughs> journal that the that the NI, that the CDC has, and actually it exaggerates the risk of of side effects from the vaccine to children. Right, which like, and you know, so that means obviously, you know, people immediately saw that and they were like, "This is super dangerous. Look how bad it is." Um, so, and I mean, this one went against the CDC's, you know, uh, you know, goals or whatever. So that's why, you know, I'm like, don't call all of these intentional lies. Some of them are literally sure? are just are, are just sure not paying attention. Are we sure the CDC hasn't been captured by a cabal of anti-vaxxers? And they right. <laughs> right. I mean, so like, and I mean, mistakes happen, but you would think at the CDC level where they know that people are going to be dig. I mean, that's the first thing people are going to look at. They're going to pull open this, you know, report on vaccine side, you know, what, you know, because that's what the, the whole paper was to show, oh, there was minimal side effects from the vaccine or whatever. So if you're going to, you would think that you would, make sure that table didn't have any completely crazy numbers in it um, that just don't make sense. So yeah, I'm like, by the time it goes out as an MMWR, they say it goes through so many levels of checking and, you know, like it's not peer review, but it's checking to make sure is what they say that it, you know, fits the CDC's, uh, you know, policy positions or whatever. And I'm like, it just seems like with enough hands on it, somebody might've spotted and you know, startlingly high percentage of hospitalizations and said, whoa, this doesn't seem right. Uh, and it was quickly corrected. Um, but again, it just kind of, it makes you uh, question like, are, you know, how accurately is this data being presented? Because obviously these are ones that are easy to spot. How many other times has a typo gone on in a table that no one spotted it because it, you know, it wasn't so high profile and it wasn't so outrageous that it was, you know, and implausible. Okay. Well, um, Kelly, I, I think it'd be good to like close this conversation with some thoughts about how do, how do we, I mean, these are, these are obviously a mix of uh, errors in the service of the narrative carelessness. Um, and it's, and the, in fact, I think that's like, that characterizes a lot of what happened um, during the pandemic. Uh, but all, a lot of it, serve to ser to panic people to, to cause them to do crazy things that they otherwise wouldn't have done support policies mm -hmm. that they never would have supported um, and they were deeply consequential like kids missed years of school in some cases as a result of this uh, the, uh, people self-isolated um, uh, and as a result became depressed skipped cancer screening these were all very very consequential errors these are not just minor minor things that uh, you can just Overlook. How do you? How do we fix this going forward? Like, I think I think a lot of people have lost trust in public health as a consequence of the last uh, of how public health has performed, especially in the United States in the last three and a half years. Um, does it? Is it going to take citizen scientists just checking? And we're going to need to like make sure that we now have a uh, uh, you know a whole large number of people trained to look at or thinking thinking about and overlooking the the uh, is that is that only the only way or or, or should public health itself could public, you as a citizen outside of public health, originally, I'd say you're now a, a fundamental value <laughs> member of public health from my, my perspective. Um, but like, but like, like is, is it looking at it from the outside? What, what would, what would make you trust uh, 
American public health again, if it's if it's at all possible. And maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Have you have you lost trust? No, in it's um, it's a good question, and it it's hard to know exactly how to fix this. But I mean, one of the things we talk about in the paper is you know kind of separating out the data team from the policy team, so that you know the the data team is policy agnostic. You know, these are just the numbers. We're just telling you what the numbers are. You know, we're not making recommendations one way or another. We're not only selecting mask studies that promote masks. <laughs> we're not, you know, uh, making sure that the pediatric deaths numbers look as bad as they possibly can because we don't, you know, we're just telling you what the data is. And then to separate that out from the people saying, okay, here's the data, here's what we recommend. Um, you know, that's easier said than done, uh, but you know, that's one of the suggestions we had. Um, but I mean, it's going to be, I think a fundamental shift of kind of trying to, you know, and I don't know if they're up for the task, <laughs> um, but trying to show that they are putting out accurate data and that they are hearing from people when there are issues and, um, and kind of adapting to that or, you know, adjusting instead of just kind of burying their head in the sand. Cause that's what we saw so much. I mean, with those data tracker death, I can't even tell you how many times I've contacted the CDC about that. Um, and I just, you know, no response. They just black hole. That's the crazy lady from Georgia that we don't like or whatever. I don't know. Um, and, uh, it, and so I think it's going to take some, you know, accountability to say, look, we've gotten some things wrong. You know, when we're called out, you know, we're going to have to address those things. Um, I mean, with the the study, you know, Flaxman, that paper, I mean, they never got back in touch with me. They never made any kind of public announcement that that wasn't right. I mean, they threw it out there to all the media that it was a top five cause of death. They never, ever went back and said it actually wasn't. The paper authors did, but no one, like, <laughs> I mean, no one kind of like, oh, adjusted based on, you know, an updated preprint and the final paper didn't come out till much later. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's going to take some, you know, humble pie, I think, to kind of say, you know, here's we've gotten some things wrong. I mean, when you make a mistake, you know, admit it, make the correction. Um, and I mean, they've done that with a couple of those typos or errors or whatever, Um but, you know, when something big comes out, you know, when the CDC director is in a briefing and makes a, a major, you know, error with a number or a major misstatement about, um, you know, vaccine efficacy or, you know, myocarditis point. I mean, a lot of those things have just been either brushed under the rug or they just keep doubling down and saying, oh, well, it was true at the time. It's not true now, but it was true at the time. Um when we know that wasn't true, I mean, we're, we can sit there and look at the data. We know that it wasn't true at the time. Like you're fooling a lot of people, but you're not fooling everyone. And there's a lot of people that are seeing right through this and saying, I mean, well, yeah, I don't know how you trust somebody that just repeatedly, you know, refuses to address errors, you know, lies. And all they do basically is it's just a, oh, well, you know, misinformation is a problem. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how every question gets answered. Well, how do you deal with this? Well, the CDC had to deal with misinformation or whatever. And I'm like, we had to deal with your misinformation. <laughs> I mean, I don't even like that term because it's just such a, it, I mean, it's, 
it's just kind of a, a such a cop out. You know, I'd like to say like this is an error, or you know, this seems to be a misrepresentation. You know, whatever it is. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's kind of just there. They can just hand wave any issues that they had away by being like, well, we were bombarded with misinformation, so we did the best we could. Uh, and you, you saw Walensky say that in a lot of her exit interviews. And it's just, um, you know, or she was asked direct questions about one thing and she just kind of pivots. Oh, well, let me tell you about this other study I just heard about. Or it, it's just not, we need some honesty and some accountability and some, you know, admitting where, you know, the CDC has messed up and here's what we're going to try and do to, you know, regain that trust here. We're going to take these concerns and these issues to heart and, you know, do better and not just, oh, but we need tons of money to do it. <laughs> you don't need tons of money to just Double not lie. You don't need tons of money to just not typo things. You just need to do better. Kelly, thank you. Uh, we'll let, we'll let that be, <laughs> let be the last word. Uh, I, I mean, I really can't improve on that. Humility, honesty, <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, and maybe more, maybe a, a few more Kelly Kroners if, if they can come out of the woodwork would be good too. Um, and thank you for your service to the country. Thank you for service to public health. Uh, and and I'm, thank you for uh, for uh, talking with yourself for, uh, for this whole podcast. I really yeah. appreciate well, it. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's All been right. a pleasure. You take care. Bye now. Thank you. <laughs>